If you could turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5, we've been here quite a while and we're going to be here for quite a bit longer. Matthew chapter 5, we've been going through the Beatitudes, seeing how these Beatitudes are not just good things that the religious elite get to, to partake in, but rather these are the things that every single believer must have as part of their transformed selves under the salvation and the grace of God. For all of these things are what resemble Christ. And when we partake of His nature, these are the things that we're partaking of. These are essentials for the believer, both in coming to Him, in prostrating yourself, in humility, so that you can receive God's grace, and then going forth in newness. And here we come to Matthew chapter 5, verse 7. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Today we're going to be speaking of mercy. And... I really don't think that I'm going to make it all the way through this message today. I think we're going to have to spill over into this evening with this, this subject of mercy. Because this is explosive. This is an explosive quality of God that He gives to us, that we are supposed to have. It's part of our newness. It's part of the new nature that God gives each one of us who come to Christ by faith. Now, a lot of you in here are war buffs, much more than I am. I'm, I am not buff when it comes to war, so that's not my, my forte. But many of you are familiar with the white flag and what it stands for. Can somebody tell me, what does a white flag stand for in a battle? If you raise the white flag, what are you saying? I surrender. You know, when you go into battle, there's some cause that you're fighting for, or maybe it's just for the sake of pure pride. Nevertheless, you go into battle trying to best the other side, the other, whether it's a nation, a village, or whatever it might be. Um, you're trying to overwhelm them, overcome them, destroy them. But at some point along this battle, there's going to be a winner and there's going to be a loser. And at some point, sometimes, one of the sides sees, you know what? We don't have the resources to be able to finish this battle. We're going to be utterly destroyed. The only thing we have left is to raise a white flag and hope that the other side shows some mercy. The other side doesn't have to show mercy. Just because you stick a white flag up in the sky doesn't mean they're not going to kill you. Or perhaps they take you captive and you become a prisoner of war and then you die in their prisoner camp. Or you starve, or you experience these harsh conditions. Why? Because you surrendered and you became their prisoner. Or back in the day, or in different nations even today, you become their slaves. Why? Because you raised that white flag. And the other side, it, perhaps they showed mercy in not killing you, but there were still consequences to be paid. But nevertheless, this, the point of this message is not about um, 
war and battle and um, what what the other side is allowed to do legally under the laws of war and things like that. But you take into consideration the concept of this white flag and you lift that up and you're asking for the other side to show you mercy. You would only do that when you've come to the point where you have nothing to continue with. You know that you are completely, you're facing complete destruction unless the other side might show you some mercy. And here it says, Blessed are those who are merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. And in order to go forward, we have to talk about what in the world is mercy. We have these short, pithy little definitions, but as most biblical definitions that are one-liners, they typically fall short. You know, you know, we say something like, you know, God not giving us what we deserve, which is part of what mercy is. But it's not really the whole story. Um, and we need to broaden our perspective of mercy. And if you read through Scripture for any period of time, chances are you're going to run into some mercy wherever you're reading, because mercy is all throughout Scripture. So throughout Scripture, it paints us a picture of what mercy looks like, both from God and concerning the activities of man. Um, so we're going to be looking through Scripture, seeing mercy on display. And mercy throughout Scripture, as we try to define this, contextually, as many things that we must define and determine what exactly it is, it's helpful to see, okay, what's usually going on when this word is used? What's the context? What's the scene? And how does that scene help us determine what that word actually means? And mercy is one of those words. You can't just simply define it in, in one little sentence. You have to look through Scripture and see how it's used. And see the many different things that mercy is. And we're not, we're not going to look at every single passage in Scripture, don't worry, that has to deal with mercy. Because it's, you know, yeah, you understand why. Um, but contextually, throughout Scripture, and we're going to look at this a little bit, Mercy is used in conjunction with compassionate action for the good of the destitute, whether spiritually destitute or physically destitute. You see mercy on display in Scripture for the poor. You see mercy in Scripture from God to those who deserve hell. In both regards, mercy is in regarding to those who are destitute, both physically and spiritually Look at Ephesians chapter 2, if you would. Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 4. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4 says, But God, who is rich in mercy, because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. For by grace you have been saved. So in these two verses, we see grace and mercy working hand in hand. And this message is not about grace per se, but grace and mercy are essentially two, si two sides of the same coin. Grace, it's just a matter of what's the focus. Grace tends to, throughout Scripture, focus on the power, the love, and the sovereignty of God given to us. Mercy tends to 
Now these are sometimes interchangeable, but it tends to be associated with a depravity that needs aid from somebody else. So when mercy is used, it typically has to do with an emphasis on the depravity of somebody else. When grace is used, it typically has something to do with the abundance that the Lord has to offer and that he offers to us. So you see the two, two sides of the same coin. They're just different concepts and they're used sometimes interchangeably, but they have various varying emphases, so to speak, if that would make sense. But here it says, rich God who is rich in mercy. Okay? And right there, he's put, painting a picture. Mercy is for people who have nothing. But now he's talking about the richness of God's mercy, which is much because of his great love, which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, okay? Completely void of life, completely void of any ability to go up and to get him and to go and get his favor, to go and earn his love, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. For grace you have been, for by grace you have been saved. And then raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Right here, it's a story of the beggar who becomes a prince because of God's mercy. Not because we deserved it. No, this is a story of a beggar who becomes a prince the son of the king, because of the mercy that a gracious king has upon somebody who is destitute, because of our sin, completely empty, completely void of any comeliness or beauty. The mercy of God came to us and took us, lifted us out of our pit and set us on the rock, who is Christ, made us sons and daughters of the king. And then he goes on and he says, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. And then you see the verse that we all know very well. For by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Okay? All these concepts working together, but we must continue in this um, lesson on mercy, but we see this. Mercy is the action that a gracious God takes because of his compassion on somebody who is destitute. He has mercy on us. And this mercy is where we get our energy and our vitality, both to be alive in the Spirit and to go out in the mercy of God. Because as we've just read in Matthew chapter 5, it says, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Okay? Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. And now we're going to talk about the way that is stated a little bit more in depth later. But there's a sister passage to this in Psalm chapter 41. If you'd like to look at that, you can turn with me. I'm just going to read it when I get there, but... Matthew, or Psalm chapter 41, verse 1, says, Blessed is he who considers the poor, for the Lord will deliver him in time of trouble. Okay, so this is a sister passage to this beatitude in Matthew chapter 5. Blessed, are, blessed is he who considers the poor, for the Lord will deliver him in the time of trouble. Okay, 
So here he's associating this concept of mercy with how we deal with the poor. If you are merciful to the poor, you will also receive mercy from the Lord. The Lord will come to your aid as you are coming to the aid of other people, the psalmist states. And this conceptually works hand in hand with Matthew chapter 5. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. When we fight for other people, the Lord fights for us. We're going to talk about that a little bit more. This is just building the basic concepts. But let's look at Luke chapter 10 together. This is the parable of the Good Samaritan. And this is a display of mercy. It's also a display of false religiosity. So Luke chapter 10, verse 25 states, And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tested him, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in the law? What is your reading of it? So he answered and said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered rightly. Do this and you will live. Simple. The wisdom of Christ is not always long and drawn out. Sometimes it's just very simple. Okay, do this and you'll live. But he, talking about this Pharisee, this lawyer, wanting to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? See, something interesting to notice here, that he stated a lot of things here about the love of God. And then you have the love of your neighbor. Jesus said, okay, go and do it. Go and do this, everything that you've said. But he doesn't get heated about the love of God, okay? Because this lawyer, he knew the law. He had given his life to the writing and the interpretation of God's word. So to him, it was, okay, I love God. I've given my life to him. I've given my time. But to him, he knew something was missing inside. Jesus didn't even point it out. He didn't even say, I perceive that thou art, you know, against thy neighbor and thou needest to go and reconcile with thy neighbor. He didn't say anything like that. Jesus just said, everything that you've said, just go and do it and you'll live. The lawyer is the one who felt the need to justify himself. Even though Jesus had not rebuked him, he felt the rebuke nonetheless because of what he himself, the lawyer, had stated. And what stuck out to this lawyer? And he says, who is my neighbor? He kind of backed himself into his own corner, didn't he? It's kind of, I, I, I just chuckle sometimes when I read this, because he just kind of backed himself into his own corner. Jesus wasn't rebuking him or pushing him or anything. He backed himself into the corner. He knew that he lacked in regards to how he treated his neighbors. And what did Jesus, how did Jesus answer? Jesus answered by telling a story. In verse 30 it says, Then Jesus answered and said, A certain man went down from Jer- Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves, who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a certain priest came down the road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise a Levite, when he arrived at the place, came and, over, and looked and passed by on the other side. Okay, so you see a couple, so we see a man who is beat up 
thrown to the side of the road, left for dead. And likely, perhaps he would have died in, the, in that heat, just laying there in the dust with his wounds getting infected over time. Perhaps he would have died just laying there, injured, beaten, stripped of everything. Perhaps he had some broken bones. He couldn't even get up and walk. Perhaps he was just knocked out, unconscious. And then you have a couple of people who pass by, and Jesus is not... He, He's not just making up stuff. Yeah, who, who can I throw into this story? Oh, well, let's make this story go a little longer. We'll talk about a Levite and a priest. Okay. No, he's making a point. Because the priest and the Levite, these were people who were supposed to be the people who taught the people how to live. They were supposed to know how to treat people. They were supposed to be the ones who understood what it meant to love your neighbor. This man coming down from Jerusalem to Jericho was probably an Israelite. And these, in these, this priest and this Levite, yeah, they had, they had things to do and places to be. And they put their false religiosity in front of their true religion that the Lord prescribes. For the Lord has stated, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. The priests and the Levites, they were all about the sacrifice. Okay, That was their job. Their job was the sacrifice. For the sins of the people. But what did God say? I desire mercy and not sacrifice. And yet these, this priest and this Levite are sacrificing mercy in what they're doing. And overlooking the needs of this man on the side of the road. They were sacrificing not the blood of bulls and goats for the sins of the people. They were sacrificing mercy itself. As they pass by. These people who should have known better. But they were content in the way that their religion ran. They learned, they studied, they were constantly in the temple, helping the people worship. They were constantly in the presence of God in the temple, because that's where the presence of God resided. But in this action, they might have been in the presence of God in the temple. But the presence of God was not in them because of how they acted, or should I say lacked action. But then we see in verse 33, a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion on him. This Samaritan, these Samaritans, Jesus also is being specific in this Samaritan, pointing out this man was from Samaria. Samaritans and Jews and Israelites, the true Israelites, did not like each other. In fact, they hated each other. They did everything that they could to stay out of each other's way. I mean, when Jesus met the woman at the well, it was outside of Samaria. And it was, she was astonished that not only a man would talk to a woman, but that a Jew would talk to a Samaritan. That kind of thing just did not happen. But this Samaritan looks upon this Jew as he lays there bleeding and he has compassion on him. His heart was overwhelmed with sorrow for the state of this man. He knew the dangers of journeying back in that day. There weren't people constantly around, cops driving up and down the streets, catching people who were breaking the law. When you're out on a long journey, out on the road, out on the highway, much of the time you were just by yourself. 
Sometimes you'd pass by somebody or come up on somebody, or, but most of the time you're just by yourself, walking on that dusty road. And people would take advantage of that. They would come out and they would rob people, as happened here. So the Samaritan comes upon this man and he saw him and, that, and he understood what happened to the man, that he was robbed. Now he didn't go and tell the police. He didn't call AAA. You know, he didn't wave down somebody else to, to help him. No, he himself had compassion on him, and he didn't quench that compassion, okay? Have you ever quenched compassion? Oh, man, I really feel sorry for that person, but I'll pray for them and move on and go about my business. It's good to pray for them. It's good to pray for them. But that's not mercy. And so he went to him in verse 34, bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. And on the next day, when he departed, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said to him, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, when I come again, I will repay you. So the man himself takes care of this person. He gets him. He uses his own resources to bandage him, to, to clean out his wounds. He takes him to a place where he can get, to get some medical attention, and he pays for it himself. And he doesn't see, he's, when it says he gave him to the innkeeper, and he said to him, you know, and let's replace this with something that we would rather think, right? He takes him to the innkeeper, and he said to him, take care of him. And make sure you let him know what I spent so that he can repay me when I come back. Or give the bill to the, the church so they can write off a receipt and give me back what I spent. But rather, he says, he gave him two denarii and said, take care of him and whatever more you spend, when I come again, I'll repay you. He completely takes this man's ailments under his own responsibility. He doesn't pass it, pass it off. The only passing off he did is he left him at the inn because that's where he could actually receive good medical attention. Inns were not just hotels back then, but that was a place where typically a person could go where there wasn't a major hospital because they didn't really have major hospitals, but a doctor would come to the inn and he would take care of patients there sometimes, and that's what he's doing. The man, the Samaritan, wasn't a doctor, but so he knew he needed better care. So he, gave, so he took him to the inn where he could get care and paid for the care out of his own pocket. Whatever more you spend, when I come again, I will repay you. He takes the responsibility. He doesn't say, up till two more denarii. He just says, whatever else it takes. I'm gonna, I'm, it'll be out of my pocket. <coughs> And then Jesus says to the lawyer, So which of these three do you think was the neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? Now it puts him in a predicament, because the lawyer was in cahoots with Levites and priests. I mean, they kind of worked together in their line of work. It was kind of hard for him to look over the Levite and the priest and say this. And, and he doesn't even really uh, say Samaritan. <laughs> it's like, oh, the, it was the Samaritan. Because he didn't want to make a point that it wasn't the priest and the Levite, it was the Samaritan, this abominable half-Jew. 
But instead, but in his bigotry, he still condemns himself further. He he answered and said, "Well, he who showed mercy on him." See, all of this that Jesus has been pointing out in this story is a picture of mercy. It's a picture of what mercy looks like. Somebody who is destitute, cannot help themselves, needs something, has a need. And this Samaritan, fueled by compassion, showed mercy to this man who couldn't pay him back. See, that's another thing. Mercy is not mercy if you know that they're going to pay you back. That's just kind of a loan. If you do somebody for somebody, do something for somebody, expecting something in return, really what you're doing is just giving out a loan. Mercy is doing something for somebody when you know you're not going to get anything in return. You're not going to get repaid. There's going to be no interest given to you. There's no dividends paid out. A lot of us, we like to put our money where it's a good investment. Fleshly speaking. Mercy, however, is putting your efforts, your, perhaps your money, other resources, where there's eternal investment. At the expense of physical investment. You don't get anything back for your fleshly um, deposit when you give mercy to somebody. You don't get anything back. Not here. You lay it for yourselves treasures in heaven. But not here. Because if you get something back here, the Lord says, you've, you know, you've received your consolation. If you give just to receive back, you receive your consolation. Okay? Sure. It's not that it was a sin to get back what you gave out. That's not a sin. But it's also not mercy, so don't expect anything from the Lord. Because you got, I mean, you got the reward for what you for what you invested. Don't expect anything from God because that's not mercy. Jesus is painting a picture of what mercy looks like through this parable of the Good Samaritan. He gave out with the promise of giving more if it was necessary. Blessed is he who considers the poor. For the Lord will deliver him in time of trouble. See, when we give mercy to somebody, it's by faith. Okay? Sometimes we don't feel like we can afford that. But what's promised? The Lord will come to your aid. Okay? You give ten bucks to somebody, it's not that you're going to get ten bucks back, but you know that the Lord is with you. You don't know how He's going to be with you. You still have your troubles, but in faith, we understand that The Lord is merciful to us. And that's how we get the energy to go and show mercy. In fact, Hebrews chapter 4.16 says, Let us come boldly to the throne of grace, so that we may obtain mercy, and find grace to help in the time of need. We are free to be merciful when we actually have faith in this. When we have faith in God. If you don't have faith in God, then mercy is a very risky thing. Because you feel like it's just loss. 
But we are free to be merciful when we have faith in God. When we have faith that when we come boldly into God, we can find mercy from Him. So His mercy energizes us to be able to go and give mercy because faith in God knows that I will not be left ashamed because the Lord is with me. And the Lord is with me in my mercy because the Lord has said, here is my mercy. Go and give it out to other people. And you know in that, in that prayer that Jesus Jesus was telling about two different people's prayers. One was a Pharisee and one was a sinner, publican. And that Pharisee, saying all, it was all, he was all into himself during his prayer. Thank you, God, that I'm not like that or like this and all these other things that I, I abhor. And in his shrewdness, he was attributing it to you know, God. But really, he was just puffing himself up. Thank you that I'm not like that. But that sinner, what did he just say? He said, be merciful to me, a sinner. Please give me mercy. And that man went home blessed. That man went home with the favor of God. Not the one who had it all together. Not the one who was very religious. Not the one who did all the things right according to churchiness is concerned. That man did not go home justified. You guys are here in church, right? You came to church. You dressed up all nice and you look great. But do you beg for God's mercy? Or are you just thankful that you have this nice air-conditioned church to go to and nice people to worship with and beautiful songs that you love to sing and a great lunch that you get to partake of and um, you're satisfied with your religiosity. But do you really want the mercy of God? Do you feel like you need the mercy of God? Do you feel destitute? Like without Him you have nothing? Or do you attribute all of your all of your loveliness to the things that you're involved in to the religion that you're part of the fact that you're reformed rather than an Arminian (laughs) oh man now I'm on top of this where do you attribute your loveliness is it not to the favor of God and simply the mercy that he's given you which would imply that you are actually pretty destitute Remember, it's the poor in spirit that actually gets to come to God in the first place. And mercy, now this is an opportunity for us to turn around and go to the other poor among us. Because we've received all of this from God. When Jesus sent his disciples out two by two to proclaim the gospel of the kingdom to the surrounding areas, he gave them a command. This is how you're going to go. This is what you're going to do. As you go, preach, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Okay, so he has a message for them to proclaim. But then he also gives them a second part. Heal the sick, 
raise the dead, cast out demons. Okay, so now he's telling them, okay, you preach the message, and now you go and you deal with the infirmities of the people. Okay, both of those are working together. And here's the reason. Freely you have received, freely give. Freely you have received, freely give. Why do we show mercy to people? Why is it such a joy for us to be able to show mercy to people? Because we have received abundant mercy from God. And that's why he says, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Now that seems a little backwards, based off of that. Because when he's, the way Christ kind of makes it sound is, if you go and you do good for the poor, then you will be saved. It almost sounds like he's turning mercy into a sacrament, which is that is not exactly what he is doing. Because we've already established in these first, these first uh, few Beatitudes, blessed are the poor, poor in spirit, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn. We talked about that in regards to our sin. Blessed are the meek, receiving the seed of God's character. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Okay, at this point we're being transformed in, how we, in our outlook and our desire for life. And now we are... Okay, here's the first real deep quality that we get to express, revealing the fact that we're saved. Revealing the fact that now I have the character of God within me through the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Ghost. And now I go out, and what's the first thing I do? I go and be merciful. I go and show mercy to people. Okay? If you've gone through this transformation, this salvation, this justification, and now you're becoming like Christ, the first thing that happens is you're merciful. Because fresh on your heart is the fact that you were once destitute, and now you are forgiven. You were once completely outside of the, the scope of favor for God. From God. You deserved hell. You were on the warpath against God as his enemy. But now you've received favor and been made a son. And this, being fresh on your heart and on your mind, it has to come out through your life. If you want to claim Christ, then you have to be merciful. If you want to say that you're saved, you have to show that you're saved. The salvation is there, okay? This is the first way that you get to show it. That you're merciful. That now in your pursuit of righteousness, you see injustice, just like this good Samaritan, and you go and you take care of those who have been defeated by injustice. You see the poor, the wounded, and your heart breaks for them. Your heart doesn't say, well, they brought it upon themselves because they're lazy, good for nothing, blah, blah, blah. That's not how your heart speaks to them. Your heart says, you know what? I'm just, I was just like them in my spirit. Wicked, unthankful, but yet the Lord is kind to me. Gave me his mercy. He showed me his favor when there was nothing favorable about me. And perhaps one of the least favorable things that we see among the poor to us is that, yeah, okay, maybe I gave them something, but they're not thankful. 
so we don't want to give to them anymore. And really, that's just part of the transaction that we're part of. If we give you, you can at least give me thankfulness. It's just part, you just turned it into a transaction. You don't need to give me my 10 bucks back, just give me some thanks. You turned it into a transaction, and you receive your consolation. You receive nothing from the Lord. No, freely you have been given. Freely give. Freely, expecting nothing in return, not even thanks. If they give you thanks, well, great. I'm glad that they were affected by it in a meaningful way. I'm glad that I was able to help and that they saw the helpfulness of it. In Matthew 23, 23, and we'll continue after, this will, I'll, I'll end this message with this verse. We'll pick it up later in the afternoon service. But in Matthew 23, 23, Jesus says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin. Okay, so these are... Every, you know, essentially what he's implying here, all the, even the smallest of what you own, you tithe off of. Being very careful to make sure that a tenth of everything that you own, you give. It says, for you pay, the, you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law. Okay, so those, that tithe had a purpose, but there are some more important things. Things that are weightier. Justice, mercy, and faith. These you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. He's not saying, you know, you're wrong for tithing, but he is saying, woe to you, because you have completely missed what the law was there to give, this inner workings of the Spirit of God. You've completely missed the more important things of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. Okay? Are you satisfied with your current level your current level of religiosity? Are you satisfied with how your life is going right now even though there's not really a whole lot of mercy being poured out from your life? When was the last time you legitimately helped somebody who is truly destitute? I'm not saying that you should doubt your salvation. What I'm trying to get at is Perhaps we've let this go in the past. Perhaps you're not saved. I don't know. That's up to you and God. But what I'm saying is maybe you have completely... We're at fault for our own sins, okay? But sometimes we just... It was never an emphasis. It was just never a big deal. Mercy. Now, you know, it was always about undeserved favor, which is our foundations of our faith. God gives us favor through Jesus Christ. The blood of Christ washes away all of our sins. We need to abstain from evil. And those things end up overshadowing weightier matters. Okay? The things that we're not supposed to do overshadow the inner workings of mercy and justice, compassion, faith, love, hope, peace. The fruits of the Spirit. Think on these things, that list that Paul gave the weightier matters, the things that come from the inner being, the things that reveal sincerity of faith. 
Because anybody can say anything. I'm saved. I'm a believer. Yeah, I grew up in church. I've never really not believed in Jesus. Or I made a profession of faith when I was such and such years old. But yet you've never gone out and showed mercy? That's something that you should actually talk about with God because maybe you're not saved. Because that is, if you have, been, if you have received mercy, if you mourned over your sin and you were poor in spirit and you were in that position where you could actually see the favor of God coming at you like a train and get overwhelmed with it and receive it and really understood the mercy of God given to you when you were destitute spiritually, how can a person who's truly seen that withhold mercy from somebody else? We who have received eternal mercy, eternal favor, how can we withhold temporal mercy and temporal favor? That's something that you need to talk with God about. Flesh this out with God. Are you really of the faith? Or are you just a wannabe? Or have you just kind of become a Christian by osmosis, so to speak? You're around Christians all the time, and you go to church, and, you know, yeah, sure, I'm saved. I received Christianity by osmosis, because I'm there, and I'm, I show up, and I do this, and I do that. And, and I think that a lot of us have been there, and I think that there are a lot of people in our area that are like that. It's kind of, it's not really trendy around here to not believe in Jesus. There are certain parts of the world where it's popular to be an atheist. But around here, it's, I don't think that that's the, really the case. It's kind of normal to be a Christian. And if you become an atheist, you're kind of rejected by your family and friends. Not always the case, but more so in small town America. So it's kind of easy to kind of slide into the Christian scene without actually being washed and regenerated and transformed into the image of Christ. It's satisfactory to just kind of go to church because that's what people expect. You need to go to church. Oh, this person is wonderful now because they started going to church. What's the goal of everybody? Get them into church. Push them into religiosity. But yet, the rest of all the weightier matters are left unaddressed. Un, uh, the things that actually involve sincerity and sacrifice. Mercy being one of those revealing qualities that we're supposed to have, that if you don't have it, you need, this, you need to give yourself some time with God to determine, am I of the faith? Because this mercy thing, it's supposed, it has to be there for the Christian. It has to be there. It's not negotiable. It's not something that you can take or leave. No, mercy has to be there if you want to be called a Christian. If you want to be truly a Christian, you have to be merciful. You don't get out of that one. Even if you feel like you're poor, you don't get out of that way. Everybody feels like they're poor. Come on. You have to have mercy. And we'll talk more about why, okay? Because there's a lot of scriptures that deal with this. And we'll talk about more of those scriptures after lunch. But right now I'm going to close in prayer. Um... You know, let's see if we can talk about some of this during lunch. Talk about some mercy opportunities that are available. or um, Maybe we need to confess our sins.
and repent of our mercilessness. But at this point, we'll I'll close in prayer and we'll pick up this conversation again this afternoon. Lord, I thank you for the mercy that you've given us and I thank you for the fact that we get to partake of your favor, which we don't deserve because of our destitute state. I just pray, Lord, that you would open our eyes to the world around us that's suffering and that's needy and that we would not be picky and choosy, but just help the, the poor um, people that we see alongside of the road as we're, as we're going about life and we see somebody in need to go and show the mercy of God with both your message and your way of life. Help us not overlook your gospel just because we want to do good. You have done the greatest good and we cannot live life neglecting the greatest good that you have given mankind. Lord, we don't want to fall into the trap of self-made religion, even through mercy, mercy ministries, because that can happen. Just pray for humility as we go. In Jesus' name, amen.